Soccer Nation, your authoritative source for NCAA Division I collegiate soccer, hosted by Oklahoma Sooners head coach Matt Mott, Rice Owls head coach Brian Lee, and the Duke Blue Devils head coach Robbie Church. They've got the insights, strategies, and insider stories you won't hear anywhere else. From recruiting to national championships, the coaches have it covered. So lace up and let's hit the pitch with Coach Mott, Coach Lee, and Coach Church. What's up, College Soccer Nation? We're back in his year of 2024, a new year. I am Matt Mott, the head soccer coach of the Oklahoma Sooners. I am joined this week, as always, with Brian Lee, the head coach of the Rice Owls, and Robbie Church will be along here shortly. But we're, uh, Brian, how are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. You know, as you said, it was the new year, Matt. Yes. I'm looking at you on the Zoom. People can't Zoom, can't see you, obviously, yeah. on the old podcast. And I've noticed maybe your New Year's resolution is to look a little more refined, a little more intelligent. You're kind of clean cut. You've got your glasses on, which is new. You're, you're like the kid on the first day of class sitting in the front row with his glasses and his uh, you know, pocket protector trying to put on a good, good impression. Well, Brian, I think I'm always looking good. Let's keep it real. I mean, that's, that's kind of how I, how I roll. But no, I, I actually forgot to put my contacts in this morning. That's how stupid I am. So I had to go with the glasses. So, yeah, I couldn't mm. see without them. Anyway, right. I was rushing around this morning. I had a big compliance meeting, and then I got canceled. Anyway, uh, but we are 2024. We are starting off, and we are, I think, starting off with the, the hottest hire of the, of the transition of the new coaches. Um, very excited. We're going to get back in 24, back to having guests on and, and having people on. And we're thrilled um, to have uh, Nate Lee, the new head coach, of the Kansas Jayhawks joining us. Give it up for Nate, Brian. Nate, welcome to the welcome to the group. Happy to have you know you've been a longtime listener and uh, happy to get you on here. So welcome to College Soccer Nation. Yeah, thanks. I'm actually feeling a little bit starstruck being on the Zoom with you too. <laughs> After all my listening hours. <laughs> that's that's lying, right? You start out with a lie, Brian. You start out with a lie. <laughs> Well, listen, um, we obviously are friends. We, we serve on a committee together. Those who don't know that can maybe get mad. Nate is part of our uh, national rankings committee for the U.S. United Soccer Coaches. Uh, does a great job in his region. Now he's in a new region. Um, but um, So he's been with on Zooms with us plenty of times. But, Nate, what we'd like to do for really our listeners that maybe aren't familiar with you and what, kind of your, your path um, into the, the Jayhawks, and we'll dive into the Jayhawks here in a little bit, but give us kind of a start coaching tree um, and kind of how you got uh, to where you are. Sure, and thanks thanks again for having me on. I think my path might be a little bit unconventional compared, compared to some. Um, I've told some people this, but I, I didn't start coaching until I was 30. So I, uh, I was a finance economics double major in college and went out and worked six years in the, in the real world in finance. And I was investment banking and I worked for for an investment company for four years. And I actually did two years of community service with uh, an organization called AmeriCorps. And so I, I met my lovely wife, Emily, at a Habitat for Humanity build down in Miami, Florida, um, working for Habitat. So didn't get started till I was 30. And I was able, you know, most of us just need that one break to get into coaching. And then we kind of make of it what we will. And my big break was, my college coach, a guy named Bobby Kramig, 
um, flipped over from the men's program to the women's program when when our men's program got dropped back in the late 90s. And I was actually the captain of that team. And Bobby and I went to a bunch of town hall meetings and board of director meetings trying to trying to save our our program, um, which didn't end up happening. But I think I got to know him a little bit better during that during that process. And in 2009, um, he had a head, he had a coaching opening and I'd been speaking to him a little bit about this itch I had to get into coaching. And he took a chance on me and and hired me as a, a second assistant um, with like quite literally no coaching experience um, to the point where my hire was flagged by HR. And we, we ended up having to play the, play the minority card with HR. Um, but yeah, and then as soon as I got hired, our, our top assistant, Shane Meredith, left to go to Iowa with Ron Rainey. And so pretty much a couple months into coaching as a profession, um, I was the more experienced uh, assistant, maybe, and I was recruiting coordinator. And Bobby was at a point in his his career that I think he was willing to give a lot of autonomy to to us assistants and kind of just let me run with things and particularly recruiting. And so I think that's where um, I made a little bit of a name for myself in that little part of the country. We brought in some good players. Um, our, our team got quite good. And in 2012, we we won a double championship. We advanced in the NCAA tournament. Um, had a had a really special year there with Miami. And I left that off season to go with Neil Stafford um, to Cincinnati. He was the head coach at Central Michigan. So Miami and Central Michigan were the two top teams, uh, came in one, two in the regular season, came one, two in the tournament. And I'll always have bragging rights because Miami yeah. came in one both those times, but, <laughs> but became friends with Neil um, during that and, and followed him to UC as his like recruiting coordinator and, um, Learned a lot from him during four years at UC. We we won a championship our third year in 2015. And after eight years of being an assistant for at Miami, for at UC, I was uh I got my opportunity at Xavier back in 2017. And it's it's an interesting one. They they actually had an opening in the traditional time um, in November, and I was a finalist for that job and, and actually didn't get hired. And uh a woman named named Casey was hired and right around that time, um, U.S. soccer restructured and they they had full-time youth team head coaches. And so Casey actually left to go, I think, coach the U16 national team in April of uh, 2017. Um, and so I took a, a second shot at it and was fortunately hired May of 2017 and have been with Xavier, had been with Xavier for seven years before getting hired at KU. That's awesome. So you got to have at least one Neil story for us. You got you to have at least one there in Cincinnati. Uh, I, I have I have many. I'm trying to figure out what kind of podcast this is, how much I have to edit some of them. Yeah. No, Neil, Neil was great. Um, yeah. Neil, Neil and Bobby, I, I talk about it all the time. And even in my like opening press conference here, I, I gave those two gentlemen credit as as mentors. And I, I learned a lot from them. Um, Bobby was was such an influence on my life in, in his long, he was at Miami for 30 years. And so every, mm. every decision he made was for the long term. He invested in his players. 
a ton during their time in college, but just as much, if not more afterward. And he built up this crazy alumni following that we all went back and it was our favorite weekend of the year going back for, for the party, essentially. Um, yeah. I was fortunate enough to be there when he uh, was inducted into the, to the hall of fame at Miami. And, and, you know, even during that magical run in 2012 that we had, we won 20 games. He never changed anything. Like he stayed to the, to the process um, and, you know, we've had a few runs at, at Xavier and I think we tried to manage our team a lot in, in that way. And, and Neil, um, Neil is as passionate as they come. Um, and <laughs> I will tell you this, like, I think by the time we were done at UC, that was a team you did not want to play. And we took sure. a huge pride in defending our home turf. We took a huge pride in Sunday games. And we had a streak of, we were undefeated for a crazy amount of games on Sundays at home. And that was, you know, beating UCF and USF and Memphis. And um, he can get a team to run through a wall for him. Um, and it was great. Like we talk about a lot, the the two of us, I think we're meant to work together in many ways, um, you know, and hopefully some of those lessons that that I learned and some, some new ones we can try to pass down to, to our current staffs. It's awesome. Awesome. Um, all right, Brian, you got one? Where you want me to go? Yeah, no, I'm super interested in that, Nate. So this is a very layman's – I love following college coaching careers. And for the people who don't know listening, everybody looks at the Big East and what's the first team that comes to mind, Matt? Georgetown. Georgetown, Georgetown, Georgetown. And Dave Nolan does a great job and, and a Absolutely. great guy and a podcast favorite, all those kind of things. You had a 28, you left on a 28 game unbeaten streak at, at, at like the eighth, ninth, <laughs> you know, whatever you want to call it, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth best conference. And then in looking at your past, this is the first time I really heard through it. That's Miami's best teams ever. That's Cincinnati's best teams ever. And obviously it's clearly Xavier's best time, best teams ever. And none of the three are super easy places to win historically. Yeah. That's uh that's really an amazing pathway. And secondary to that, you probably got flagged by HR because they said you're an investment banker who wants to become an assistant <laughs> soccer coach. And they're like, we need to flag this guy. What could be wrong? I have a true story about this. This is a very true story. Um, when I went on the interview with, with Bobby at Miami, um, you know, my wife's like, Nate, he might like offer you this job while you're down there. I'm like, he's not going to offer me the job. And we go through it and it comes towards the end of the day. And he says, what do you think? And then Bobby spent, we honestly met for coffee before I went down for the interview and before I knew he had an opening. And he spent literally like an hour telling me all the reasons I shouldn't want to be a college coach. <laughs> Which, That's what I told Everything him. he said was true. Everything he said was completely true. Yeah, it's, it's tough for a family. You know, all the, all the holidays we're out recruiting um, it's just so hard to have balance. Your mind will never be off of it. All those things were true. Um, and then I came on campus and did all that stuff. And, uh, he's like, all right, what do you think, Nate? And I was like, Hey coach, you give me the opportunity. I'm in. And he goes, you sure? And I'm like, yep. And he goes, all right, you in? I said, I'm in. And so he's like, you're accepting the job. I said, I'm accepting the job. And he said, do you want to know what you're getting paid? And I said, no. <laughs> tell me tomorrow. After I can't, after it's too late to back out. Because That's it, great. It was a significant pay cut, like for sure. Um, sure. And the, you, in order to be successful in this profession, 
you have to do it for, for reasons outside of money. And then maybe eventually you can make a career out of it. But at the beginning, no one really like make ends, makes ends meet. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny you say that. I had the same conversation with my son not too long ago. He's, he's coaching and he's, you know, and I'm like giving him all the reasons why not to do it. Right. And, and, uh, but then he sees it and it's like, it, you know, it is, it's a fantastic job if you're in the right spot and get the right opportunities and work, work with the right people. Right. And, and that sounds like it definitely was your situation about it. That's really cool. Um, all right. I know this is a loaded question, Nate. I apologize in the front end, but difference in your, and you know, you only been there two weeks, but mid-major power five, why'd you make the move? I'm sure you've been asked this a million times. What, what, what was, what went into the, the process? It obviously did a great job at Xavier. Was it time? Like what's, what's all the reasons why you headed over to there to Kansas? Get all these questions. We're going to do softballs. No <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. And, and I want to be really, really, really respectful uh, of Xavier in this answer because I had, I had a great time and a great experience and they gave me my first shot and the athletic director, Greg Christopher, was always 100% honest and transparent with me. And those players that like, we had some really nice teams and, um, and it was really like painful to, to leave that program. And we have lots of roots in a lot of different ways. Um, but to try to answer your question, there, it seems like in college athletics, there's, there seems to be, um, the haves and have nots. And I think that gap doesn't seem to be shrinking. If anything, it keeps to keeps widening and who knows what the future holds um, in that, in that way. Um, I think we, it felt like we were kind of butting up against a ceiling for two, three, four years where we thought we were doing a pretty good job. Um, we were banking some results and like one, I don't know how much the recruits cared because we were still losing those recruits to, to much less successful power five programs in the area. Um, and then two, to take our program to the next level, I thought it would take a certain investment in resources that probably just were unrealistic in today's, in today's landscape. And, you know, other little things like the field was small in, in, in turf. Um, we didn't have an indoor facility. We shared our facility with two other teams. It was practice and game facility. And then if you like, okay, so that's that side. I'd much rather talk yeah. about the positives, right, of what we're yeah. walking into at KU. Um, you know, we have, have you guys played over at Rock Chalk Park at Kansas? Yeah, like fantastic. A, re a really, really high-end facility mm -hmm. that makes you feel like it's a big-time event. Um, 120 by 80, you know, perfect grass field. Uh, we have the same exact field on campus for practice. Um, you know, the, the strength and conditioning coaches aren't split as much with their time. The athletic trainer isn't split as much with their time. They're dedicated to, to soccer. Um, it's, it's their priority. And, you know, whether it's traveling where you want to travel to to play the opponents you want to play or whether it's being able to bring recruits on campus or go out recruiting there there is a, a different level of resources um and so yeah it's it's it was a hard decision even all those things being said it was really really tough and my wife and i had about as tough and long of a conversation as you're going to have about it but in the end we thought this opportunity just was was too good to pass up
Fair, for sure. Brian, go ahead. Well, I think you're spot on, Nate. I don't think it's any offense to Xavier, but I think it's clear as day the direction that NCAA sports are going. And you certainly had maximized Xavier. Um, what do you think, said if you maximize Kansas, what does that look like? Yeah, I mean, that's <laughs> I've thought about that a lot. And I hope I'm not giving too much information, but I, I, when I was speaking to our athletic director at, at Xavier, Greg, before I came out here to KU, and there was a couple other calls and interviews I had, I had, had in this offseason, um, he asked me, he's like, do you think it's realistic to, to get a college cup at, at KU? And I sat there and I thought for a second, and I said, it'd be really, really challenging, but yeah, I, th I think it could happen. And he goes, well, you know, like you got to go maybe. Um, and, and he was fighting to, to keep me, but uh, that's what I really respect about him is if that's your goal and those are your ambitions, then maybe you got to go and we'll see. We'll see, right? There, there's a lot, a lot of programs to try to compete with to get to that, that kind of level. Is it realistic? We'll have to see. But there's a lot going for us at at KU outside of the facilities. I think, I think Kansas City is going to be one of the premier cities in the country to recruit. Um, you know, there's the the women's pro teams here. There's an MLS team here. They're building the first women's soccer only stadium in the country. the The World Cup is coming here. One of the team's base camps probably going to be out at KU's campus. Like U.S. soccer's got got a big presence in Kansas City, and so I mean, obviously, we have to keep the best players home here, and we have to do our job all over the country. But I don't know. I want our players to dream about a college cup, and I want to. I want to dream about one. Well, yeah, and I, the first when oh, you said ahead. that, Nate, what I was thinking was the answer back is a lot easier than at Xavier. <laughs> And yeah, again, I, that's no offense to Xavier. And, 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 yeah. Things have to fall right, right? And yeah, of course. I mean, we lost our we lost our NCAA tournament game this year. Um, but and one of the things that's gonna gonna haunt me for the rest of my life is my the last game I coached at Xavier was that game. And you know, we could talk about that, but UCLA lost. And so had we won, we were gonna host the next two rounds. Right? Uh. So we would have had to take on Nebraska, great Nebraska team. Sure, sure. Uh, but then EC Irvine was waiting for the winner of that. And yeah, maybe this could have been our run. And um they don't come along very often and we all have to value every single opportunity we get. But I don't know. I don't want to put yeah. a I, I want to be able to dream at night and 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 yeah. use that on the players. Well, yeah. and I you know it, it's just so interesting, but you're coming into a conference now that just had a team in the final four or in the college cup. Right. Um, so again, you're competing at that level week in and week out. It's only going to make you better. And it gives you, a, I think it gives you a legitimate chance. Right. And obviously in the big East, uh, Georgetown had made the final four twice, two years ago, twice. Yeah. yeah. Um, so for sure. But I think the path may be easier. Um, like, like Brian said, well, that's awesome. Um, my next question was, um, Obviously, you know, Mark Francis, a big, big fan of the, the program, a big fan of, uh, of sorry, of, of the podcast. We had him on. He's great. We're all friends with him. Um, and obviously you're taking over, you know, kind of after a legend, really. He's been there for, for a long, long time. Stylistically, are you going to do what you do and recruit to the way that you want to play? Have you looked at how he plays? Like, how does that marry as you go into a new program? Kind of what I guess maybe the better 
question, Nate, is what are those first few steps to what it's going to look like? What's what is Nate Lee's soccer going to look like in Kansas? Yeah, and I, I do think it's important that that I I mentioned Coach Francis and and honor him and the tremendous work he did here. You know, like at Rock Chalk Park, there's a a long hallway with all the all region all American championships that NCAA tournaments that he was a, a part of. And um, we played Kansas once in my in my time at Xavier in the second round of the NCAA tournament, and they kicked our butt. Right. So <laughs> coach, coach Mark uh, definitely got the better end of, of the game. The one time we went head to head. Um, but yeah, to like, we're going to, I think one of the things I, I have a, a philosophy and how I want to play and brought that philosophy to Xavier. And I think if you looked at my interview materials, when I came to Xavier and said, this is hopefully going to be my first head coaching opportunity. And this is what I want to do that. If you looked at it six years later, that's essentially what we tried to do and we'll adapt as, as needed, but the, the style that we want to play and certain things were, are non-negotiable and we will try to implement with the players here. And, and I do think we're inheriting some talent. Um, and I do think uh, the, the team is ready and, and willing to, to, give all they have. Um, but we, I, I texted you guys earlier, we had video today and we're three video sessions in and in three on the field training sessions in. And what we're trying to implement is a lot different than the the player's natural tendencies at this point. And yeah. we're not right. And, and Mark's not wrong. It's just different and different. Tough. And, and, the, and the longer they've been in a system, you know, the harder it is for them to change. And then, okay, does friction occur? And, and how do we get over that fact that um, this is going to take time, but then yes, we have to continue to make those coaching points. And, and that's what we're working through here. Perfect. Yeah, that, is, that is super interesting. Cause I feel like, you know, you guys have both, Matt, you're a year in, Nate, you're just getting started. When you get a new job, um, it's always easier to follow someone who hasn't been successful. And Nate, you're really coming into career-wise. Mark has done fantastic. Probably their peak was maybe Sweet 16. Is that right, Nate? Correct. They, two Sweet 16s. Two Sweet 16s. So, you know, that's that's no slouch performance whatsoever. Um, how have the players responded to you guys? They, I, I've been really happy with how the players responded. Um, I was out here a day after I was hired and it had all been a whirlwind and they were incredibly welcoming to I've, I've, Emily and the three kids flew out here and they were so kind and welcoming in, in, in that moment. Um, I've been back now for a couple of weeks and getting on the field. And I think they just have like full hearts ready to ready to give it a go. Um, we asked for their trust and we promised them our trust and they came back fit and, you know, they seem engaged in, in video sessions. And when things weren't going smoothly on the field, which we knew they wouldn't, um, they didn't get discouraged and, and start doubting everything, at least, at least openly. Right. And so, no, I've been, I've been really happy with how we've been received and we have, we finally have the full staff here and it's, you know, like you guys have been new to a job at first, it just feels like you're trying to head your, hold your head above water. And now we're finally feeling like we're able to take some little steps forward. Yep. Yeah. I kept and using it, drinking from a fire hose. 
Yes. No, yes. Felt, you know. <laughs> Hard not to drown. Well, a great staff. Talk us through how you came up with your staff for Kansas and what did that process look like? Before I speak about the Kansas staff, I'd love to to mention some coaches that I worked with when I was an assistant coach or my first time as a head coach at Xavier that really had a big impact on my life and my career from Shane Meredith um, at Miami and Gary Grant and Matt Ward. And and then I, I went over to, to UC and on my first staff with Neil was Gary Kernin, who's now famous uh, for his, for his podcast and his modern soccer coach material. Um, Tiffany Roberts and Simon Wigley, who's now working in the MLS and then Gavin McLeod and Matt Kozniuk, who who are still really close friends, um, who've done great things with their careers. Uh, I started at Xavier with Kelsey Hunyadi and Taylor Spradling, Vince Gentili, and then Renee Horton joined us just a, a year later. Kristen Cannon uh, put in a season with us, and then our staff for the last three years, Katie Edelman, who I recruited to Miami, coached at Miami. Uh, stayed friends with, stayed in touch with, tried to help her with her career. And I've been super blessed to to coach alongside her for the past three years. Jake Jake Morrison, our goalkeeper coach, who in his three seasons with us, coached two different goalkeepers to, to all conference honors. Matt Tennyson um, was on the staff this past year. And then one of the people who was most impactful to that Xavier program was our athletic trainer, trainer Jordan Johnson, J.J., I call him my day one because we started at Xavier, walked into the first team meeting together in, in August 2017, and he was with us for, for all seven seasons. So that group, even before KU, means the world to me. Tyler Smaha was one of our two associate head coaches. And I was the coach who's like, I, I see you guys once in a while making making fun of certain decisions. And I was the guy making fun of people who had two associate head coaches. I'm like, what the hell is that, <laughs> right? Like, what does that mean? <laughs> And then a couple years later, I'm the dude who, who gets two associate coaches. But um, Tyler, Tyler was was in a couple head coaching. He was in it, interviewing for some head coaching positions. And the day I got the job, he's like, "Hey, man, if you want me, I'm coming with you." And I'm like, "Let's do it." And so he was on the plane with me here the day after I got hired with his wife, um, 100% in, and that gave me like the utmost confidence because. He, he, he's, he's great. He's, he's a star in the making. Um, he, you know, he started off with us at, at Xavier as a volunteer, um, and working with goalkeepers when that's not his specialty, but he's kind of one of those guys who's like, I'll, I'll figure it out. You know, I'll, I'll get it done and is an absolute machine on the recruiting trail and has really like grown and taken a lot of the reins and, introducing tactics and video and, and all sorts of stuff. So he, he knows how I operate. He knows how I want to play. Um, and so having him from day one has been amazing. And then, um, we, we added Tiffany Hansen, um, as the, I've doubled up with double associate head coaches again. And, <laughs> hey, once you've, yeah. once you've broken the seal, I guess. Um, yeah, yeah. And so Tiffany, like, you know, as, as I was trying to put the rest of the staff together, she was the big domino. And I had to wait until that was solved before we could make the other hires. But I've known Tiffany since we we kind of came up together. She was starting at Dayton really similarly time to when I was starting at Miami. Um, I'm older because I got that late start, but like we're in kind of that same class, so to speak. And when I got the head coaching job at Xavier, we only had one paid assistant. 
And my first call was Tiffany and I knew she wouldn't take it, but I'm like, I at least have to ask. And, uh, you know, she ended up recommending Kelsey who I hired, but I've always told her one of these days, I'm going to, we're going to end up working together. And so, um, yeah, she's, she's been a recruiting coordinator at Michigan and LSU and, um, seen success in a lot of different places and is working with the U S national team. Like she just came back from California working with the national team and she's just about to go again. So we have a, a goalkeeper coach who's working with national team goalkeepers. Um, Daniel Baker joined us. He was a volunteer with us at, at Xavier for a season in 2022. Um, uh, is the oldest soul you'll ever meet. Uh, is like 22 going on 40. Um, so I think he's 24 now, but he, he started with us right out of college. Like I think he hadn't even graduated yet. The first day he came to the office and he just blew it out of the water is so proactive is so thoughtful um such a such a hard worker and so I, i'm proud that we helped him move on so he went and joined the staff over at penn state this past fall um worked under erica and 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 ann and tim over there and then um he's back he, he joined us and then um yeah we we also added uh sean soderling as our director of ops who oh wow if you're on social media you probably know who sean is yeah um, yeah yeah but it's on his podcast there. i think yeah i think yeah, it's on his yeah, podcast yeah. yeah good guy good and i've worked yeah. a lot of camps with sean so that's how i got to know him that's really cool um all right we'll get you out of this on, on this one Nate. this is this is a tough one so you're going through all this you're you know you're interviewing and you're you're talking to your ad and their ad and all this stuff clearly you didn't take time to look at the rest of the conference and know you're going to now deal with Tom Stone and Colin Carmichael and Eric Bell and all these guys that are, are fantastic coaches um, and, and great guys. But um, it is uh, it is a wild trip. I mean, Nikki Izzo up in West Virginia. Yeah, great, great. And obviously, Jen Rockwell at at, um, at, um, at BYU. It is a great league. I'm happy to be leaving it. Um, SEC is uh, is where I belong, I think. But um, it's a great conference, but uh, there's some there's some tough competition in there, but it is only going to make you better. That's for sure. What what advice do you have on that, Matt? <laughs> when you go to Texas Tech, bring some earplugs. That's what that would be my advice. Uh, yeah. you know, you're going to some great atmospheres, great atmospheres to play in. BYU, there's there's none better. You know, um, Oklahoma State has the nicest stadium in the in the country. It's 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 a pretty cool league for sure. When they, ahead, and the one thing, you know, from a coaching perspective, those are all great people. None of them are nearly as funny as Dave Nolan. Uh, so, true. You know, from a, <laughs> from a conference call, they, that ain't going to be nearly as fun as having him around. But really, <clears throat> for me with you, Nate, you said Kansas made two sweet 16s. You've been three places. You've amped them all up. Sounds yeah, like here we go. college cup is perfectly realistic. <laughs> no pressure. No pressure. <laughs> yeah, I, it's hard. It's hard to know because you, you then look at some of the teams and you're like, oh, boy, to get to this level that we say we want to get, it means we're going to have to go through some combination of this group, which, you know, when I was coaching five, 10 years ago, it seemed impossible. But I, I will say this. When we first start, started at, at Xavier, I remember the first time we played Georgetown and we walked past them in the hallway and I wanted to get on the on the bus and go back home. <laughs> And we haven't even gotten the field yet. And then um, we played them and I, I, this was 2017 and we, I looked at the coaches and I'm like, are we ever going to get like any chance at even competing with this team? Yeah. And two years later, we won the double championship. 
We won the regular yeah. season and the tournament in 2019. We won the regular season in 21. We won the regular season in 23. And so we won four trophies in the last four seasons. And if you would have asked me back in 2018, could we win one? I, I, I would have, if you put me in a lie detector test, been like, I don't, I don't know. I don't yeah. think so. And so, <laughs> yeah, you, you don't, you never know. You, you gotta, you gotta set your aspirations high if you're ever going to do something different. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, listen, man, congratulations. We're certainly super happy for you. Um, thanks for starting off our new year's show with a bang. Again, I think the, the biggest name of the biggest hire of the, of the off season, but certainly happy for you. Know you're going to kill it at Kansas. Hey, don't take all the Kansas city players. You know, some of us aren't that far away. We want to come. We come We're coming to Oklahoma. No, 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 no. no. Doors. The, borders, the borders are closed. The borders hey, are before closed. Before we go, before we go, yeah. I promise. Yeah. I promised Tyler. I would, I would bring this up. Tyler's also an avid listener to gentlemen. He has put in a formal request to, to bring back the power five, or maybe we'll call it the power four. That's what um, I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. We started with Brian. He... <laughs> well, we, we may get Petroselli on a few more. Him and I may have to have a throwback. I tried it with Brian. Brian just not argumentative enough. That's the problem. So uh, I tell him we'll work on it. I appreciate that. That would be great. All right, Nate. Thanks so much. Good luck. Appreciate you having coming on. All right, guys. Thanks, thanks so much. Yep. Okay, Brian, that was, uh, that was good. That was, um, he was really good. And we've been trying to get him on for a while, um, knowing we'd talk to him and then obviously makes the move to Kansas. No brainer, but boy, he's put together a good staff too. Um, certainly uh, wish those guys luck in the uh, very powerful big 12. Now, when you add Arizona, Arizona state and uh, Colorado and, and all the guys going in there, it's going to be a, a hell of a league. That's for sure. Well, I think we're both big on, um, especially in the power fives, you better put together a great staff. Yeah, you can't absolutely. do it on your own. And I think he's done that. And usually you can look at the standings and kind of do a little bit of an eval of what do you think about the staff as a whole. And generally the best staffs are going to win. All right. So it's funny you say that, talk about staffs. I'm going to, I'm, I was going to bring up some spring soccer, but I'm going to jump ahead and ask you this as you said that. Um, uh, oh, first, did I say Robbie? Did I tell us Robbie is, Robbie you is technical Yes, Robbie. Technical difficulties again. Uh, so Robbie is out. Um, so just be me and you the rest of the way. We'll catch him and we'll do one probably in another week or two. We'll catch him then. All right. So impact of now having the third coaches when you're at an ECL event or anywhere else having four coaches on the road. We used to do it with two at the most. Then we went to three and now we can have all four. Thoughts on more coaches on the road um watching players opinions well my general opinion is this it's a little bit unnecessary and you know it's not gonna be super popular with the coaches especially the people who have these new jobs it it probably a little bit of a gender equity move by the ncaa to give us this opportunity um as it applies to like ecnl a big recruiting like event like that i think the more people you bring the earlier evals you can get on younger kids and the more you can be watching 2026s and 27s. So I certainly think there's a benefit to the programs who bring a ton of people out, except for when sometimes you find them. Now, if I was an AD or a budget manager at a school and I was running, you know, I maybe I'm crazy psycho and the coaches should leave if they turned up. But if I turned up at one of these tournaments and I had paid for three or three coaches to go, 
and they were all sitting watching the same <laughs> game. Or even worse, here, here's the better one. Here's, here's more of my pet peeve. When all three of them are eating lunch at the same time, it's probably unnecessary. <laughs> Because there are games going on fully through the day. That is a good point. That's pretty good. Um, it is interesting, though, right, where where these places are, these locations are, um, the ability of people to send more people because they can stay at home and, and zoom out. So it's, it's kind of interesting. All right. Um, topics, some spring soccer topics. What do you think is the most important piece of spring soccer? You've been doing this now well over 20 years. You've been through 20 springs or, 20, you know, more than 20 springs. As you get into this number 30, whatever it is for you, what do you find is most important with your team? Well, I think number one, and it's getting closer to 30 springs than it is 20. Right. Yep. Um, however, number one is every spring is different and every spring for every program is different. I think the number one thing is put results aside always because you don't yep. know the situation of the teams you're playing and you, you know, really – your spring team rarely, except on rare occasions, doesn't look exactly like your fall team's going to look. Um, I think keeping the kids, the number one thing year to year, I think it's keeping the kids engaged and enjoying being part of the program, recognizing that it's a lot of hard work over a full year. So can you keep team chemistry and um, keep the kids' eyes on what's important, which in the end is getting touches on the ball and getting fitter and stronger and faster and you know, for certain kids on the team, it's much different than others. An established player versus a kid trying to break through. If you can't break through on the spring roster, I got news for you, parents and players. There's more kids coming in the falls. So the likelihood you're breaking in in the fall uh, isn't large. What do you think, Matt? Yeah, no, it's it's a it's a good it's a good um, I agree with everything you said. I think that, um, you know, it's different for everybody. Right. This is my first spring in Oklahoma. Um, you know, we brought in some new players Some some of the freshmen came in early. We didn't have a spring last year. So this spring's really, really important for us to really lay down the foundation of what we want to do, what we want Oklahoma soccer to look like. Um, but for any of the new coaches, you know, I was talking to Nate offline before we started and same thing. He's, he's, you know, he's trying to keep his head above water because there's so much, but spring is so important to a new coach, just realizing how everything works, right? Like us, figuring out Oklahoma, how the, how the athletic department works and, and all those things, hell, finding my way around the town without using GPS is, is pretty handy. But I do think from a soccer standpoint, it's development, development, development. But I also agree with you. It gives these guys that are here a three-month head start on those guys that are coming in. So we know, we should know as coaches, when we, when we leave in, in April or May, we know what these guys can and cannot do. And I think that's where the games are really, really important, not from a results standpoint, but realizing. And I think having a mix, a mixed um, schedule is important, too. You don't want to go out and get your, your uh, brains beat in every single game. Uh, you don't want to go out and win every game 5 nothing, right? There's got to be some mix of some good teams. And, you know, can you get a, you know, some quality teams on that is, is important. But spring is crucially important to the success. But I will go back to this. This was my next question, Brian. I, the old saying, I used to say it to Petroselli all the time, good spring, good fall, um, bad spring, bad fall, agree or disagree? Oh, disagree. I, yeah. You know, I think good summer, good fall, bad summer, bad fall has got mm. a ton of credence to it. I, I certainly think, but it's how you evaluate good spring, you know, because for me, good spring is two, three kids make a developmental leap. 
you know, but that, that might not be a team good spring, but it's, if we can have two or three kids make a leap, you know, that takes them up a level in our team, um, then it's a fantastic spring, but it's really, you know, whether we win, lose, draw, you know, the, the evaluation of the spring is almost after the fall to me, but summer, well, we, not so much. I, I love your statement. If that way, if you replace spring with summer, good summer, good fall, bad summer, bad fall. I think that's spot on. Hmm. Well, I, I do think, you know, I say this and again, you know, cliches, I get hammered for cliches and stuff, but if you make everybody on your team, 1% better in the spring, you're, and we have 24 players right now, you just got 24% better. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Does that work? I, I don't think Does your math work? actually adds up when it comes to a <laughs> soccer game. Uh, however, uh, I'd rather one kid get 20% better than 19 kids get 1% better. It's the kids that make a it depends, leap. It depends what kid that is, though, isn't it? It depends what player <laughs> that is. <laughs> um, all right. Um, I think the other thing you got to be really careful for if you're a if you're a young coach listening um, that hasn't done a lot of springs is be careful with those starting lineups in the in the spring games. You might want to think about mix them up, mix and match them because you got somebody that starts every game in the spring, and then here comes the fall and little uh, freshman Susie who's an you know, All-American comes in and takes that spot. Well, wait a minute, Coach. I played all – I started all spring. Wait a minute, Coach. I had five goals in the spring. Well, if you you, you got to be careful about that a little bit, in, in my opinion, um, of, oh. of making it too locked into what you – what they're going to think is the lineup. Well, I think this. I think as coaches, we are have a very clear perspective, and even young coaches, of what spring is. It's about individual yes. development and the results don't yep. matter – who plays how much in the end doesn't really matter. You know who doesn't share that perspective? <laughs> the players. Yes. I once had a kid, this is this is an absolute true story. At LSU, we had a year where we graduated a lot of kids. And in the spring, we had a kid who didn't play at all as a freshman, hard worker, pretty athletic, stuff like that. So I bring her in and I say, okay, I'm going to be super clear. Your development over the next couple of years really, really important to me. You are not ready to start now or next fall. I'm going to play you 90 minutes a game this spring because I think in two or three years, you might be able to help us, and I want to see how much progress you can make. So she plays every minute of every game in the spring. We're not great. I don't know. Maybe we beat the smaller schools. We would have lost that year to most of the power fives we play. Fall comes around. She's on the travel team. I think great progress. She thinks yeah. – why the hell am I not starting? What's going on? I said, we told you every single week, this is about your development. This is why you're playing this much in a normal situation. If these games counted, you wouldn't be playing 90 minutes. And then she turned it around and in the fall, couldn't understand why I wasn't playing 90 minutes. And I thought she had a great spring because she went from not on the travel team to the travel team. Yeah. Yeah. Perspective, my friend, perspective is very important. And it doesn't matter how different ways you sign it. It's so, uh, say it, it's so much about playing time. All right. Next topic. How, Brian, do we change? We, I just was at the SEC, uh, SEC meetings, right? Back in the SEC meetings, right? I, I actually hadn't missed one because I was at the one last year under Ole Miss. And now I'm back this year at Oklahoma. But one of the topics we, we, we talked about was, the, the nonsense of the NCAA that has the signing date in the Wednesday right to start of the NCAA tournament. Then you have the portal running right into the dead period, the dead period that we all love and that's in the right time, but terrible for the portal 
and those college kids that are doing finals, not to mention the people going to the college cup and trying to get those guys in the portal. And, and then these players trying to figure out, you know, do they come in January? Do they not come in January? So Brian, you are now the head of the NCAA. What would you do for soccer in changing those days? Is there a way to fix it? Well, the number one, the signing day shift, that kind of yeah. snuck under the radar against us. Yeah, You know, that was a multi-sport thing that no one told soccer about until it had already passed where yep. they just threw us in. Um, and I think all of this is a G. Guerrero problem. It used to be a Brian Lee problem. It's right. It's yes, a, it is. It's now a G. Guerrero is the uh, <laughs> chair of the coaches, whatever we yep. call that. Thing. But And he's doing a great job, by the way. And I talked to him today. He wants to come on the pod. I think he'd be great to update people on a yep. lot of things like this. But number one, the signing day has got to change. I don't understand it. I don't get it. It's it's ruined signing day. February signing day is a great event for the kids, great event for the coaches, really fun. It's a dead time of year. It, it Signing day kind of comes and goes now, and half the schools don't even announce. Right. It's, you know, taking away a huge marketing part for us. The transfer portal timing, that's just tough. I don't know what to do about that yeah. one because you do have some kids who want to enroll in January. Sure. Um, so Commissioner Sankey, right, who I think you and I both would agree is the most powerful man in college sports. He's the commissioner of the SEC, and it has been for a long time, and he's as smart of a person as there is. He did talk about pushing to really start these sport um, committees from an NCAA standpoint, the, the sport oversight committees. You know, football and basketball both have them. Why don't we have them in all the other sports? These are the topics for those committees to, to change the blanket, you know, decisions that are made for signing day or even the portal or whatever. Uh, to really help each individual sports, you know, rules, um, all those kind of things are, are really important. So um, I do think that that's coming. I do think that committee oversight's coming and that's going to be really helpful in, in doing that. So as you're listening, if you're listening and you, you have some, um, you have a want to get involved at the, you know, NCA level and, and policy level, please, as that comes through, look to join in and, and, and really help our sport change some of these things that just don't make sense. The signing day. And I remember, I remember being an advocate of an early signing period back when the February signing day was almost too far. Now I want the other way, like bring us back to February. Um, makes no sense. Well, yeah. Okay. Well, it coincided. We used to want an early signing day when the kids were committing as eighth graders. Right. Because the extra yeah. four or five minutes, four or five months was kind of ridiculous. Now That's that right. the actual recruiting contact rules have changed for most of us, the February day, you know, makes makes total sense again. Totally. There's a little more sanity to it. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, just a couple more, and then we'll 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 wrap this one up. And like I said, we'll get back with with Robbie. Um, all right, Brian, I'm going to put you on the spot. The new mm. NCAA, the new NCAA. What? And again, Brian Lee's back now. The the uh, president of the NCAA. With all that's going on in college athletics, with revenue sharing, NIL, um, power conferences, you know, realignment, all those kind of things, what you what say you to what you think the NCA is going to look like, or maybe should look like, in your in your opinion, going forward? Well, in there's a decent portion of it. Those those two roads have a nice little cross section. I think anybody <laughs> sitting around, you know, it's a little to like Nate going from Xavier to Kansas. 
Yeah. If if you think Xavier's going to be playing in the same league as Kansas in three to five years, then you're just wrong. Rework your thought process. There's a small chance everything, but um, you know, football gets cut out, but I don't think that's realistic at all. I think soccer has what people need to understand is soccer has a large roster with a limited coaching cost. With 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 every sport sponsoring it. Don't forget that part. Yeah. Every school sponsoring it. So every school every sponsoring, school sponsoring it. it. But when there's a little breakaway from the big schools, they are for sure cutting sports. When it in the last two weeks, Ole Miss announced they lost how much money, Matt? Do you remember? There's a lot. Yeah, 12 million, something like that. 12 million. Yeah. FSU, who went 13 and 0, sold every ticket to football, lost around the same amount. LSU announced a losing financial pitcher for the first time in a non-COVID year in the last 25 years. They lost money. So mm-hmm. these are three top 10 football teams, maybe? Top yeah, 12? absolutely. Yep. So they're not going to stop chasing football, and football's not really where they're ending up net losses. These right. net loss sports, and you know, for me, there's two sides of it. They're announcing this and showing negative numbers because they're about to cut sports and they want everyone to stop complaining when they do. But I don't think soccer is going to be one of them. I think soccer is going to last on the national picture and certainly last in the in the big conferences, because not only do we have large rosters to help with gender equity, we've done a horrible job promoting ourselves. So our salaries <laughs> are so low. That's true. Yeah, they can employ an entire soccer staff at Oklahoma for the same cost as the associate head basketball coach would be my guess. So, you know, things have gotten out of control. So I think soccer is in a good spot, but the NCAA is going to change a ton. And if if you're not in a power conference in three to five years coaching, what you're shooting for is probably going to look a lot different. What do you think, Matt? Um. Yeah, I, I, I just think it's going to be fascinating. I do think that we have some serious lawsuits that the NCAA is going to have to figure out a way. Are they going to settle? What are they going to do? And and how does that look? How does the revenue sharing look? How does the employment of student athletes look? Like, there's a lot of really crazy decisions coming down. And, you know, again, when I show in our age, we've been in this 30 years. It's it's wild to think of what it was for the first 20 five years of my time in the, in the NCAA to what it's been in the last five with all the different things that go on that for a lot of times, those things didn't really touch our sport, right? We didn't have to worry about it. Now it's, it's real. And it's like Nate saying, you know, look at the, we, we talked, there was one more part I want to get in. Then I want to talk a little bit about the NWSL draft and the power five and how this is going. But, um, you know, you talk about cutting sports and I think we're already seeing it, right? LMU just, just cut, you know, six sports and, that's a really scary spot for any of us. I hate it for anybody that wants to be college athletics. But is it not true that college has been the training ground for our Olympic sports? In other words, you know, if you're talking about cutting out swimming and diving from a big school, where where are they going to train for the Olympics? Where are those kids going to go? Are they going to go to school um, if they're an Olympic hopeful? Because a lot of, you know, think about, and again, I don't know swimming well enough, so pardon me if I'm talking out of line here, but you look at a lot of those guys, you know, went to Florida or Texas or wherever, the swimmers. Now what do they do? Do they become a know. You know, the, what, yeah. ha, what happens in that very important four-year period if there's not swimming in college? Or, or pick know, a sport, you know? Yeah. You, you want to know who doesn't care? 
the commissioners of the power conferences who are making <laughs> three million a year, maybe on average, to five. Yeah, the president knows, yeah. of the NCAA, who's making similar to that. The AD at every power five, who's now over a million dollars at almost every one of them. They don't really care. And it's not the NCAA's job. And it never, never really was. It fashioned itself that way um, to, to train the next, you know, age of Olympic athletes. Katie Ledecky, right? Katie Ledecky yeah. went to Stanford, yeah. right? Like I totally agree, especially swimming and swimming and track and field. I think right now we're already seeing, look at the number of high school women who are turning pro. Yeah, I just I mean, had that on my list. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's it's five of the top 10 players, something like that. And that list yeah. is not going to get smaller. And the men right now is probably 20 of the top 20 players sure. are turning pro. So, you know, it's not the NCAA's job. And I think when, remember when the men, it finally got shot down, if people don't know, the split season. Right, And that, yeah, yeah. that was a way to turn the NCAA into developmental soccer, maybe keep a few right. more good players. And the NCAA just flat said over and over again, our job isn't to develop, you know, pros. Our job is to develop people and college college students who want to play college sports. Okay, so here's an interesting question I have for you. You're, you're a parent of two college athletes. Well, eventually will be two college, Division One college athletes. Would there be any moment that you would – and, and may, this answer may be yes, Brian, but is there any moment would you say, um, yeah, um, Abby, like – you, they want you to turn pro. I think you should forego your time in college and turn pro. Oh, not for tennis. That is a whole lot better tennis players than my daughter have tried to turn pro and things have not gone, gone great. All right, let's so, say she's a soccer player. Um, in current day, there hasn't been enough. There haven't been enough females come through to prove to me that it is a better developmental in the United States. Mm -hmm. um so no and i'm a big college person so no i would not want her to forego a college education um to to turn pro i just i don't because I, I agree with you the money's not there i mean the money but money is not life-changing money um for them to do it I, I it's really interesting to me and are and how how close are they to the top level like are they i mean i know we get the, the kid that that went is on the national team that you know was going to go to Stanford and, and went to LA Thompson yeah. right she she might yeah. be a she might be an anomaly but are there that many that can really break into a roster in that NWSL I, I don't know I'm asking the question I have no idea it's just interesting to me is it worth it for those guys at that age at, at age 17 and a couple of them obviously it is but it seems like that like you're saying the number's growing and at some well, point I would think they're not good enough to help well, and I, I think this, I think, for, I don't know if there are any parents of elite soccer players listening to our podcast. Maybe there are, maybe there aren't. I do think they should always have to see things through the prism of the person giving you the advice. So I do think a lot of our youth players right now are getting advice from our national team coaches. Sure. And for the betterment of the national team, sure, it's a safer path for a kid to turn pro. And if one of the five this year turns out to be a U.S. national team starter. That's great, you know, from their perspective. What about the other four? Who are yeah, turning down? there's not going to be five or there's not going to be five of them. There's yeah. not going to be five of them. And think about the educations they're turning down in the long term. Yeah. I mean, we're talking Stanford, Duke, North Carolina, UCLA. Those are Virginia. Those are great, great schools that are going to set you up for a nice income for the rest of your life. 
Yeah. Uh, and, and again, I th- I'm sure that the, the thought process is, well, you'll go back after or whatever. But I think the other part of it is it, you know, I don't know about you, but college life's pretty nice, you know, like college, as a college kid is, you know, they talk about what, some of the best time of your, of your life. So. And what's the market NIL value right now of those kids? If they yeah, go to college, yeah. we know what it is for the top player in Texas, right? Yeah. Yeah. For it's sure. No, it's, it, it's interesting. It's a, that was another number. Another Brian, it's like you're reading my paper and I oh, promise boy. you people that he doesn't know. But my last topic was impact NIL on soccer. As we've seen it since we last discussed, there's been some pretty big names going uh, to, to to schools, and you know the the value is sounds pretty high. Again, you know legally, no one can offer a, a incoming freshman money, but now they're talking. This is the thing that kills me, and I asked this to the the compliance guy at the meeting. I said, okay, so they're now going to start to allow us to talk to the that there's a vote in April to allow coaches to talk to the collectives on their campus. So we can talk to the coaches, but we can't talk about inducements to, to, to freshmen. So we know that's going on in other sports. Maybe it's going on in soccer. Maybe it's not, you know, wink, wink. But how how do they think that now letting us legally talk to the collectives is going to stop them yeah. from people? And again, I, I can honestly say here with a with an open, you know, feel, I feel good about myself saying I've not talked to the collectives about about freshmen or, or anything like that. We have not broken any rules here at Oklahoma. But that's not true everywhere. And how in the world do they think this is going to stop? The level of comedy to think that in our sports, a junior in high school is introduced to an NIL and a value of said NIL by anyone other than the coach and certainly the collective <laughs> finding out who they are. Yeah. The, that is just out and out comedy of in, in reality. And I'm not against NIL. I, I, that's fine. And I think if you're going to be competitive, you know, at the power fives right now, you better have a, a war chest to some degree mm-hmm. um, or you're not getting elite players anymore. Um, but and that, that whole concept, that, that is just a complete farce. Yeah. Yeah. No, and it's not going away and we'll discuss it more and more. And we certainly would love to discuss it with Robbie. I feel like he's maybe had some issues with, with NIL, but anyway, um, I think that's it. You got anything else, Brian? Anything, no, on, just, the dra- anything on the draft that was interesting to you, the NWSL draft? Well, I think the push toward power five players, and a couple things. Number one is you can, if you follow it, the year to year of non-power five players being drafted and drafted high is shrinking every year. Yeah. And then secondary to that is kudos to the SEC coaches. You know, we're all waiting on the SEC breakthrough to really win a national championship, something like that. And Alabama has been in the final four recently. And, you know, plenty of teams have been there, but no one's won since Florida a long, long time ago at this, at this stage. Well, you're not going to win national championships when BYU has more picks than your entire league and Penn state has more picks than your entire league. So that, that's the other thing that stood out to me. And that's not meant as a, uh, a, a, a negative statement about the SEC. It's, it's meant as a huge compliment. You're doing a great job coaching and the league you're going into is doing a great job coaching. If you can have five kids drafted and multiple teams have more kids drafted than your entire league. Does that make sense to you, Matt? It does. It does. It does. You know, it's uh, 
Listen, there. What I can tell you, Brian, is going back in the SEC. I, you know, again, I was there for obviously a long time. Came over here to the Big Twelve. Great coaches in the Big Twelve. Great programs. BYU, obviously, you know, making it to the Final Four, and I think should have been in the final. Got very unlucky in the in the semi. Um, great coaches. I, I'm going back to the SEC. Sitting in that meeting with all of them, they're great coaches in there. Great coaches, people I've done a long time. When you're talking about a Karen Hoppa and a, you know, a Shelly Smith and a G. Guerrero, and and the list goes on and on and on, right? Kobe Hale, and um, they're all doing a great job, you know. And now, you know, Ange and I are back. Ange was at Tennessee. People forget she did a really good job at Tennessee and just made a Sweet 16 with Texas. That then they're loading up. Um, they're going to be good too. So it's exciting to be back into that league. Um, but Big 12 is pretty damn good too. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, I agree with you. Uh, they've, they're doing a great job, and there's um, great coaches, really, in, e- in every conference. So I hope everybody's spring is off and, and going well, and they're doing great things. We'll try and get back with Robbie and see what he's thinking. So we've got to have some kind of big deal with Robbie, and, and we may be able to sneak Chris in here for a, a minute or two as he's got a lot of stuff going on as well. So um, I can't get him off the beach. Yeah, exactly. All right, Brian, good show. Appreciate it. You guys, appreciate you listening. Nate. We appreciate him coming on, did a great job. You know, we, again, I think it's important people to know these are just our opinions, um, things we talk about on a daily basis. Nothing's in in, in concrete. Our thoughts about the NCAA is uh, it's just our opinions. Uh, Brian is not talking to, to um, you know, the President Baker. We don't really know what's going on, but we'd like to have opinions and, and, uh, and our thoughts. And Brian loves when his opinions come true. So, anyway, College <laughs> Soccer Nation, thanks for listening. We'll see you in a week or two, maybe, um, and get back at it. College Soccer Nation is out.